Um, really, I think we come to kind of another parable-like section. It's not quite as clearly parable-like as chapters 15, 17, and 19, but it is going to uh, to deal with uh, the sword and also kind of a parable that begins this uh, riddle of the sword. And so it's at least somewhat more uh, imagery related. Um, would somebody read chapter 20, verses 45 to 49? Are we recording? Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land, the south, and say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, All Lord God, they say of me, does he not speak parables? Okay, so what is Ezekiel to do? To the south. Yes. Um, that southern area, what do we call that area? The Negev. The Negev. What do you know about that area? Is it a desert? Yes. Oh. Now, what is the message for the Negev? It's going to catch fire. What's going to catch fire? No, Ezekiel's not catching fire. <laughs> I'm not to kindle a fire in you. No, he doesn't mean in Ezekiel. <laughs> in the, in the, in the forest, forest land of the Negev. I thought Ezekiel was just going to be on fire for the Lord. No, 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 no. <laughs> Gotta watch who he's speaking against. He's telling Ezekiel in verse 46, Set your face toward Teman and speak out against the south and prophesy against the forest land of the Negev and say to the forest of the Negev, Hear the word of the Lord that says, Lord, behold, I'm about to kindle a fire, kindle a fire in you, the forest land of the Negev, that will burn every green tree as well as every dry tree. Now, typically, a dry tree would burn easily, a green tree uh, not so easily, but this is going to be a blazing flame that will wipe out all of the trees of the Negev, and it will be obvious by the fierceness of the fire that God's hand was behind this. What do they say in response? He's speaking in parables? Yeah. They are not taking what he says seriously because what's all this? He's speaking parables. Now, there's a particular reason, I think, why this, uh, this you know, prophecy of Ezekiel could be sort of uh, laughed at and discredited. What's kind of odd about this one? Are there sheep in the sock? No! It's a desert! <laughs> I was going to say, I was thinking the kind of desert, desert trees? Yeah! This is really... What do you mean? It's kind of like saying there's going to be a sandstorm in the Black Forest or something. You know, and somehow or other that doesn't work. And so... Uh, they've got a reason why they are uh, complaining. This doesn't make sense. Now, 
Why would Ezekiel do something that didn't make sense? Well, he's, that's what Ezekiel does. Yeah, he's, he draw, he draws attention. You know, he will say things that are jarring. He'll say things that that really don't seem to make sense on the surface, trying to catch their attention and force them to analyze what he's saying. And uh, they want him to speak plainly, uh, which is what he's going to do in the very next section. Like I say, said last week, this is a horrible chapter break. <laughs> you know, we definitely need 45 to start a new chapter because this goes right on into chapter 21 where he's actually going to interpret this parable and tell them in plain language what he means and see if they like that any better. Alright, comments or questions on 45 to 49? Even even though there's not many trees there, for there to be a fire in the desert... I mean, is, is this a literal fire? I mean, is this... I think he's imaging a literal okay. fire, but that's not what it means. That's okay. just kind of the image. Well, I guess, you know, you have to have a fire in the desert where there's not much in the way of trees. It'd have to be something you have to <laughs> yeah. forgot. Yeah. yeah it, it's just hard to imagine even having one. Yeah, you're right. exactly right. I mean, what's there to burn? Nobody, nobody else could do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, a fire doesn't just spread without consuming something. It's got to have fuel. And uh, so, you know, it would just seem like, you know, I, I suspect the Sahara Desert, you know, there's probably not volunteer fire departments, you know, I mean, you know, there's nothing to burn. Um, yeah, good point. This is, this is really, uh, it doesn't, again, it doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense, and it's going to draw attention to it. You know, anything like that will make the people stop and say, what's that? And I think that's what he's trying to get. They are so blind and deaf, so hard-headed, that you've got to say things that don't make sense to get their attention. All right, let's see the uh, meaning. Uh, that's uh, verses 1 through 7. Okay. All right, ask it. Is he speaking a parable of 45 through 49? Well, yeah, I don't know if parable is the word I want to use, but yeah, it's pretty close. Okay, then line 49, does he say um, that they won't listen to him and they'll just say he's just speaking in parables. But, the Lord, but he is speaking in parables. But they're saying this disdainfully. Hey, he's just talking parables. It's a sort of a parable, but they're trying to just laugh him off with that instead of taking the parables seriously. That's my take. That he's just saying they're, they're not taking him... They're not ta- finding out the meaning of the parable. They're not looking for it. They're just saying, he's, he's just telling stories. There's never going to be a fire in the Negev. There's never going to be whatever. Be- they're discrediting the idea that, he, that, that these are just parables. To them, that makes it, you know, useless, meaningless. Let's see if I need to get this. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem, preaching against the holy places, and prophesy against the land of Israel. And say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword out of its sheath, and cut off both righteous and wicked from you. Because I will cut off both righteous and wicked from you, therefore my sword shall go out of its sheath against all flesh from south to north. 
that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath. It shall not return any more. Sigh therefore, son of man, with a breaking heart, and sigh with bitterness before their eyes. And it shall be, when they say to you, Why are you sighing? That you shall answer, Because of the news. When it comes, every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming, and shall be brought to pass, says the Lord God. Okay. Uh, did they want plain speech? Well, I wonder if this is plain enough. What's he told to prophesy? against the sanctuaries and the, and the land of Israel. And telling them what? Here comes the sword. And what's the sword going to do? Cut off from me the righteous and the wicked. Yes. God is going to destroy both righteous and wicked. Being righteous does not guarantee immunity from the um fallout of God's judgments. Now normally God's sword would be wielded against who? Yeah, the wicked. The enemies. But now it's being wielded against his own people both the righteous and the wicked. Um, There's your point about the green tree and the dry tree in the Negev. The green tree would be the innocent the dry tree would be the wicked. Look over at Luke uh, 23 for a minute. You've got that same figure in a passage that's often not read. Not often read. I don't know how to say that. I don't need that one either. But you never know. Nobody does it, Michael. Yeah, you don't need that. Uh, Luke 23, 27, this is when Jesus is being led away to the cross. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. And Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now there's one of those obscure statements of Jesus that well, a lot of brethren don't even know he ever said. What does he mean, if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? If this happens in the green, it's going to be easier done in the dark. Yeah, what is that saying? What's Jesus saying in context? Do you know? That it's dry and that the fire that's going to be blazing is going to burn. He's the green tree. He's the green tree. Why is he the green tree? Because he's righteous. He's innocent. And look what they're doing to him. If they're doing this to an innocent man like Jesus, what's going to happen to the guilty nation? To the dry tree? You know, can you imagine how much more readily the whole nation will be incinerated if even this is happening to a righteous man like Jesus? I think that's the point. And so, when you that, that's picking up on this, this type of imagery from the end of Ezekiel 20 with the idea of the dry tree and the green tree. 
what he's really saying is God's going to cut off and, 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 and destroy both righteous people and wicked people in this destruction of Jerusalem. Um, but so how... The, the, the nation of Israel. And who's coming in here? Who's coming in where? Well, what, who are we about to say that they're going to do it? <laughs> where are we at? The, they begin, the mountains fall on us, the hills cover us, because obviously somebody's coming in. Yeah, the, the Romans were going to come in and destroy the, Jerusalem. The destruction of Jerusalem. I think so. Yeah, I think Jesus is warning the daughters of Jerusalem for the time that was coming where they were going to be punished for their sins. They being the dry tree, the punishment's going to be theoretically even worse than it was for Jesus, the green tree. So the dry tree is the wicked city? Yes. Yeah, whatever. I just pointed that out because it uses that same imagery, not because it directly connects with Ezekiel. It's almost Jesus picking up on Ezekiel's, you know, figures to, to teach what he was teaching. What about the idea of God's sword cutting off the righteous and the wicked. You can that soon. That must be Are you talking about um, music comes in? I'm going to go out there. Physical, physically, both the wicked and the righteous are going to be cut off. I think so. So, but the righteous will be protected spiritually. I think so. I think this is sort of a balancing thing with Ezekiel 9 where the man with the writing instrument put the mark on the righteous and they were not killed by the executioners. The truth is God's wrath is not condemning righteous people but righteous people often do suffer fallout from the judgment against uh, against wicked people. And that's that's the, a reality, you know, of what happens. Just because you're righteous, I mean, can you imagine the Babylonians coming along and, you know, asking the people before they execute them, are you a righteous man? <laughs> they didn't do that. I mean, you know, there were there were righteous people that 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 were killed in the siege of Jerusalem, undoubtedly, with the with the Babylonians. And um, so, so in, in actual practice, what he's saying is, this sword, this judgment, it's going to cut off both the righteous and the wicked. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be um, just a, a dreadful occurrence. This is how bad this judgment's going to be against, against Judah. Comments and questions. So how will this judgment mean that all flesh will know that the Lord has drawn his sword out of its shoe? Well, I think because it's so terrible that it has to be the Lord's. Okay. Like like with the the fire in the desert, it's got to be an awful big fire. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
So the desert is referring to him? Probably, in a sense, it may be an appropriate figure for the barren, the spiritually barren nation. They are a desert. I don't know for sure if that's what he's got in mind. What are the trees? The, the people. It, it's obviously a bold figure. I mean, this is this is kind of uh, it's very jarring. Uh, but I think it's the last resort to try to reach hard-headed people who won't listen. They don't have any sensitivity in their hearts. You know, I think it's interesting also the reaction of Ezekiel. That he's groaning. That he's so grief-stricken. You know, Ezekiel's got a message from God that he's responsible to proclaim, but God didn't tell Ezekiel he had to like it. You know, Ezekiel doesn't like it. He's groaning. It's agonizing. But it's true. And he preaches it faithfully, even though it, it hurts him to do it. The fact that it hurts him so much that he's groaning so much is almost a sign of how bad the news is for the nation. Other comments and questions on 1 through 7? Well, that just kind of starts us into this sword passage um, where we're actually going to see a lot of emphasis on the sword as the instrument of God's judgment, 8 through 17. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, say, A, a sword, a sword sharpened, and also polished, a sharp, sharpened to make a slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Or shall we rejoice, the rod of my son, despising every tree? It is given to be polished, that it may be handled. The sword is sharpened and polished, to give it into the hand of the slayer. Cry out and wail, son of man, for it is against my people, and it is against all the officials of Israel. They are delivered over the sword of my people, therefore strike your thigh. For there is a testing, and what if even the rod which despises will be no more, declares the Lord God. You therefore, son of man, Prophesy and clap your hands together, and let the sound be doubled the third time. The sword for the slain, it is a sword for the great one slain, which surrounds them, that their hearts may melt, and many fall at all their gates. I have given the glittering sword, ah, it is it is made for striking, the, like lightning. It is wrapped up in readiness for slaughter. Show yourself sharp, go to, to the right, set yourself, go to the left. Wherever your edge is appointed, I will also clap my hands together, and I will appease my wrath. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now you see the emphasis in this text is on what? This polished, sharpened sword. Yeah. You know, this is the song of the sword. And you just sort of admire this thing. You know, it's sharp and it's polished. It'll really slaughter. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, I don't know, just flashing forth light, you know, as the light hits it, it just shines, it glimmers, you know. Here's this this tremendous sword. And, uh, of course, it's kind of ominous to sing a song of, you know, extolling the great power and virtues of this sword. <laughs> um, 
Because what was the sword being sharpened to attack? against all the officials of Israel. Yeah, it's against my people. You know, that's who's going to get the bad end of this sword. I'm going to strike my own people. Which is really sad. It's God having to turn on his own people and use his sword against them. And and he's got, you know, Ezekiel, I think, maybe acting out this whole affair. Look at verse 14. You therefore, son of man, prophesy. Clap your hands together and let the sword be doubled the third time. <laughs> the sword for the slain. It is the sword for the great one slain which surrounds them. And, uh, you know, verse 16. Show yourself sharp. Go to the right. Set yourself. Go to the left. You know, I just see him. You know, Ezekiel is, is here playing with the sword. You know, he's dancing around with this thing. You know, sort of. Uh, I don't know, I haven't watched hardly any movies or anything, but, but I assume that, you know, in sword battles and movies, that, you know, the, the kind of arrogant uh, sort of a, a soldier that's good with the sword, I mean, he does a lot of kind of theatrical moves with the sword ahead of time to kind of show it off and show he's really tough. Is that... Indiana Jones, there's a scene like that. Yeah. Where the guy is like messing around with the sword and to intimidate, and Indy pulls out his gun and shoots him and doesn't actually get to the. But yeah. <laughs> and usually, usually that doesn't really apply here. Yeah, no. And usually, usually in a sword and sorcery kind of movie, there will be at least one sword sequence where they're working out with the swords. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm envisioning this here. And it's God's way, again, I think, of trying to, to wake these people up. If they're not going to listen, maybe, to straightforward language about God's punishment for sin, maybe if they see Ezekiel with this sword, you know, kind of showing it off, it seems more vivid and more real that this is the sword that's going to be used to punish them. And God seemed pretty happy about it. I mean, even verse 17, I will, also, I will also clap my hands together. I will appease my wrath. I mean, the Lord, the Lord's ready. <laughs> you know, this is finally. He's going to deal with these wicked people. And he's going to pacify his own uh, righteous indignation. Can't help but think of um, Hebrews 412 and Ephesians 6, something or another, 17. You know, the, the word of God being the sword of the Spirit, and how that's going to be used in the same way. It'd be nice if we would see that more as a sword, you know, that can either perform beneficial surgery on us or cut us up, cut us to bits. Or even on us bigger scale. It's going to cut the nations. It's going to divide people, you know, groups of people in half. That's right. I came not to bring peace, but a sword on the earth, Jesus said. So we do have kind of a New Testament application of this sword as an instrument of God's judgment.
in 14 where it says the sword for the great one slain, would that be referring to Jesus? I don't think so. Um, I think it, uh, you know, is is just talking about the slaying of the people. Uh, you know, the, the nation itself. Maybe, maybe the nation as a whole. Um, what do you have? You have something different? His, his reads a lot differently than that. Mine says, the sword that slays the great men. Oh, okay. that's interesting. What do you have there? Nick King James. Okay. Anybody got the NIV? I what, 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 Yeah, what's it got? Uh, read the last half of 14. Last half of 14. What chapter? 21. 21. 21. I forget. I thought you were going to see it. The last chapter. It is a sword for a great slaughter. A sword for a great slaughter. Closing in on them from every side. Did well, you say the same thing as Anita's? Yeah. Sword for a great slaughter. Okay. I think that's the idea. Okay. Okay. Uh, there are comments and questions through 17. I'm not seeing this at all. I'm not seeing Ezekiel doing this. I, well, I just don't... I don't see him going through emotions. And I don't think see how that would have made any application to them. To see some guy who they already think is an idiot now is playing with it and dancing around with a sword. That's because you're a guy. It's he's a very he's nice pretty sword, dramatic. Though. I mean, Ezekiel is dramatic, and he's not going to sit there and just recite what God tells him to say. No. He's got lots of inflection. And it's not a whole lot different than some other stuff he's done. What about when he was set up that city on that brick and you know but besieged I can it? See the oh, 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 when he cut off his hair and he started cutting it up. I mean, I can see the applications there. Uh, here I can't see what is portrayed by him dancing under the sword. I, I think dancing, uh, I mean, more, I like the showing off, you know, you've got this sword and, and you're just showing... Showing off the sword. I, yeah. yeah, I think it shows power. Because it's sharp and polished. Mm -hmm. some other things? <laughs> Come to the door. <laughs> Hey. You don't knock around here, you just walk in. <laughs> you have to knock at your aunt's and uncle's door. They all we don't. Know. We don't. <laughs> but I see him as, as, as showing it off, showing that this sword is the He's not emphasizing himself, he's emphasizing this weapon. Right. Yeah, when somebody comes in and sees a sword, they're like, wow, a sword, look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. We, we engrave swords sometimes, and people, if they're sitting around, people come, oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> it does draw attention. It draws attention. It? Where'd you get that sword? Well, God gave it to me. <laughs> yeah. hmm. I, I don't know how else to explain what he's saying, well, especially in verse, uh, you know, 16, maybe also a little bit in 14. You know, what does he mean? Clap your hands together, let the sword be doubled the third time. And uh, when he says in 16, show yourself sharp, go to the right, set yourself. Go to the left, wherever your edge is appointed. I mean, it looks like he's telling, kind of giving Ezekiel stage directions here. 
You like that? You like that picture? Yeah, I do. You can't get the application. Great, you're showing off a sword. The same as the application of him showing off the siege of Jerusalem. I mean, what is the sword? The sword is God's judgment against Judah. Is it how is waving the sword around getting across that this is the judgment of Judah? Well, it's more but, real if you can see it. Yeah, it's the same it. thing when he played war with that brick. So now he's fighting Jerusalem. Yeah, he's showing the, the sword that the Lord's going to use to execute Jerusalem. I mean, look at five. Thus all flesh will know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath and will not return to its sheath again. You feel bad because I can picture it and you can't. I know. <laughs> I can't see it. Well, a sword is a weapon. You know, a weapon that's going to hurt you. If somebody came in with a gun, you know, and you'd see well, the same thing. fired a few warning rounds yeah. or something. Yeah, you see it firing a few shots. The same you know, sword doesn't fire, you just sort of flash it around to show what it can do. Yeah, I see that. What I don't see is how that's portraying the judgment on Jerusalem. Because it's going to kill him. It's showing off the weapon. Okay? <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> yeah, look at the pretty sword. It's going to kill okay. you. <laughs> well, yeah. Sort of. I mean, look at verse 12. You know, Cry out and wail, son of man. It is against uh, my people. It is against all the officials of Israel. They are delivered over to the sword with my people. You know, this is this is symbolizing the judgment that he's executing against his enemy. By dancing with the sword. Mm -hmm. By showing the sword. That's what the Lord said. You haven't seen many movies or depictions of sword fights. No, no, I get I get <laughs> how he's showing off the sword, and he's probably showing it off very well. I don't get how that shows the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, what else would Why did his hair show that he's cutting up people? Like... He's scattering them. His hair represents people, and he scatters them. Yeah, so the sword represents the that. judgment. It's the same. I guess it seems a lot easier than that. Maybe you're thinking too hard. James? Is it because he's not chopping anything up? Like, you want him to chop something? Sure, attack a wall or something. It shows that he's attacking Jerusalem. He's attacking the I air. The that. air represents Jerusalem. <laughs> 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 That's good. <laughs> well, I, but, I, but I mean, in one sense, he's showing how sharp and how polished it is just by what you can see of it. And as opposed to, it's not doing any cutting yet, but look at it. Can't you see just from seeing that it is going to be bad? This is a well-made sword. It's sharp. I've polished it well. People go on fighting. Everything will be bad for you. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, that's good point. That makes more sense. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. I think it's that laugh at the end. I really <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, I also have a witch laugh, but we, uh, we don't, we're, not, we're not there, so. Uh, it be on the recording. That's yeah. true, that's true. I, I do. I'll type that. <laughs> 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 I was wondering how she's going to type that swoosh, swoosh thing. <laughs> I'm not transcribing it, do you kill him? I'm only transcribing Revelation. This is for Chris to listen to. I have to get Ezekiel 21 in the last few verses of Revelation. So. <laughs> 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 I, I do have a question. Alright. 
the last part of verse 10 and all of verse 13 is talking about a rod. What's that about? I don't know. My version is a lot better than James' version. I have an idea about that. Okay. We have the same version. Mine says scepter. So it makes you think like it's a king, and so even if it's royalty, it's still going to kill me. Yeah, my verse 13 in Edmundson Ariel, it says, Because it is a testing, and what if the sword despises even the scepter? The scepter shall be no more. So it seems to me that the sword is like, you know, even the king is not going to escape the sword. Getting ready to cut off the scepter. That's real, it's a really controversial That's quite a set different of phrases. I mean, Marty said exactly what I'm translating. There is a testing. What if even the rod which despises be no more. Not the sword despises the rod, but, but it's the, the rod, rod is despising. But if, if it still says it would be no more, like still the yeah, rod, the rod is, is being cut off. And maybe the rod was cut off. What do you have, the NKJV? Yeah. What's the NIV? What's the NIV? What's the NIV? What's the NIV? What's the Why is it that you have despise the rod, it will not succeed, declares the sovereign Lord. Mandy, what do you have in verse 10? Verse 10? Sharpened to make a dreadful slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Should we then make mirth? It despises the scepter of my son, as it does all wood. Okay, mine says something to that effect. But it's still the rod that's doing the despising. Because mm-hmm. I have that, or shall See, we rejoice the rod of my son despising, despising every tree? tree. <laughs> so we have the rod despising. You see why I don't know? <laughs> yeah, and well, then the it's usually kind of kooky. But I think in this situation it makes sense, but it might be wrong. I don't know. It's a controversial it's a passage to figure out what it even Let's add another version to the mix. Mm-hmm. 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 It's some of them that sounds like the rod or scepter that despises is one that despises God and the sword's going to cut it down. Yeah, and that's the only thing that really kind of makes sense in most of the versions. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's one of one of the things about you have to remember about translating, especially Hebrew. There's enough openness in translation that you've got to understand it to translate it. And, you know, this is a hard passage to understand. And so it depends on the understanding of the translator how he translates it. Which is true sometimes even like translating English or whatever. You know, I mean, every once in a while you come up with expressions. We would get Brazilians to translate written material from English to Portuguese. And every once in a while we translate Bob Walden and stuff or whatever. Every once in a while, it's like oh, I didn't see how you translate that way, but I guarantee you that's not what. It, but that's not what Bob Walden meant by that expression. It made sense from their perspective, but I'm a 21st century American. I know that expression in that context doesn't mean what the book would say it should mean, and uh, so that's that, that's that's probably I, I I would need to go back and look at that to even remember what the alternatives were. The, the English Standard Version in verse 10, the last letter part, it says, Or shall we rejoice? You have despised the rod, my son, with everything of wood. And verse 13, For it will not be a testing. What could it do if you despise the rod, declares the Lord God? 
Now see, in that one, verse 10 makes sense to me in a very odd way. You want to hear a, a really different translation? Yes. Yeah, the translation is outrageous. It has been sharp to give death. It is paused so that it may be like a thunder flame. What, what is that? <laughs> what verse was that? The translation? What? what verse was that? It's the BBE, whatever that is. What verse is it? Uh, verse, verse 10. 10. Does it continue in... Nope. No, yeah, it should. That's just the first half of verse 10. Nope. It just, it just goes away. The they said, I don't understand it, therefore I just... I do have two translations that do not... Well, actually one, two, Ooh, three translations that do not have that verse. They just skip it all together? Well, oh, oh no, those are like the New Testament translations. <laughs> 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 oh, are those? <laughs> I think... The, the, I bet they are. The WSB. <laughs> the West New Testament. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, see, the, verse 10 in this one makes sense to me because... You've despised the rod, i.e. discipline, with everything of wood, i.e. <laughs> idols. Which, you know, maybe makes no sense in the context anymore, but the idolatry is that you've committed is cause problems. But so it could be a, a rod or a discipline or a scepter or a sword or a dry tree or a <laughs> it could be many things. I was right when I first began. Okay, the KJ reads because it is a trial, and what if the sword condemns even the rod? It shall be no more, saith the Lord God. Amen. We are the national, says, shall we rejoice in the scepter of my son Judah? The sword despises every such stick. Nice. So basically, we have many opinions, and we don't really know what it means. We don't even know what it says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The general gist of it is that the sword is going to destroy. We know that. Yeah. That's, that's you know, so, I don't know. I, like I said, I need to go back and look at my notes to see if I even took any notes on that. As I recall, it was just so complicated, I couldn't figure out how it ought to be translated or what it ought to mean. So. I was going to say, the note that I have, the, this study Bible says... 21.13, this is the, the verse means, what will happen to Judah if it is left without a ruler? Jerusalem, 
to set battering rams, to open the mouth for slaughter, to lift up the voice for the battle cry, to set battering rams against the gates, to cast up ramps to build a siege wall. And it will be to them like a false divination in their eyes. They have sworn solemn oaths, but he brings iniquity to remembrance that they may be seized. Now do you see what we've got here? We've got Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, coming to kind of the fork in the road where he's got to choose who he's going to attack. He can either go to the right and come down on the west side of the Jordan River and attack Judah, or he can fork to the left, come down on the east side of the Jordan River and attack the Ammonites. And this is his choice. This is his, uh, he's come to the place where he's got to decide uh, who is he going to fight. And what method does he use to try to determine which place to go to? He shakes arrows, consults idols, and looks at livers. (laughs) (laughs) And what is that all about? Divination. Yes. Either, uh, should we? Yeah. 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 So what king is this? Nebuchadnezzar. And this is divination. These are their ways, pagan ways, of trying to um, find out what the gods uh, have decreed. I mean, it reminds you of modern day palm reading or, or psychic consulting or horoscope, you know, understanding. So I just open the door and I'll open the door. I'm trying to figure this out, and I'm having trouble. <laughs> Look like a small person. Yeah. Did you go outside? Yeah. <laughs> you saw it? I saw it open. Yeah, I saw a small yeah. head. Small. Was it Vaughn? No, I don't think so, but it's, I can get a real good one. I would have said it was brown headed. Um, so, I mean, this is what Nebuchadnezzar's got to go on to decide who to attack. Now, what do you think about that? It may not be very effective. Did you figure it out? Yeah. What is it? Somebody that has emailed all day. I need to talk to Chris really instantly. So what did you say, sir? I don't remember. What, what do you think about this? She said he was well, ineffective. I, oh, there we go. <laughs> I think that he thinks he's going to win either way, and so why not look at the liver and decide which way to go, and either way I'm going to go and defeat somebody. He what? doesn't really care. Well, no, I think he probably had overconfidence, but I think he really wants to know the right way to go. And that, you know, even people like Nebuchadnezzar feel their need for divine guidance. 
And if they don't know the Lord, then they resort to shaking the arrows, consulting the household idols, and looking at the liver. There is actually, I think there's sort of, a, uh, was an ancient science of liver reading. Yeah, I've never thought about looking at a liver to make a decision. Well, <laughs> they did. Like a chicken liver. They'd cut an animal open. And they, they'd examine the liver. You know about that? They, I mean, they would, they would ritually sacrifice the goat or something, and then they would look at the, the liver and the other entrails and the way that they're placed. And from this, you know, the... the yeah, it, 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 they read. This big lobe indicates that you should go to the right. Yeah. There, there's even a word for that. Something like yeah. hepatoscopy or something like that. That's how works for me. Yeah, something like that. Uh, that, that was actually the science, if we want to call it that, of reading livers. Isn't there a passage that also talks about that besides Ezekiel? Probably, but I don't know. Yeah. Let me, uh, I don't think I'm reading They were reading something that was really funny. They also read tea leaves, but that was another But, I mean, I assume, what about, like, palm reading? I don't even know. I've never been to a palm reader or something like that, but, I mean, I guess... They, they look at your palms and they tell you things about you or your future or something from looking at that. They, they, look, at the, they look at the lines the line line and, and they determine whether or not, you know, this line is one thing and this line is another. Wow. And, like, this is your lifeline and does it cross, is it crossed by your love line and and all of these other <laughs> You know too much about this. <laughs> <laughs> read widely. And there's a palm reader and tarot card reader who just moved in down the street from Oh, really? Cool. Like, what, she <laughs> 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 I, I, I do want to visit their dog, but that's not a show. Well, it, it is kind of amazing. Although, I must say that what Nebuchadnezzar did is about as good a reason for making war as the reasons nations come up with today in our enlightened age. I mean, witness the uh, total uh, absence of weapons of mass destruction and uh, some things like that. I mean, it might have been just as well if we'd have looked at livers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and every once in a while, you, you see some of the bonehead moves, uh, you know, rulers pull and you wonder if they're doing that. Uh, and, and you, we, you know, we think this is, this is ridiculous. This is, you know, amazing. But I think it's intended to help us see the emptiness of what somebody who doesn't have God has to rely on. What's he going to do? He better look at a liver. Now, what was the result of this divination process? He goes to attack Jerusalem. Yeah, the the, the answer that was given is Jerusalem. And so he came down and destroyed Jerusalem. Now, wonder why all the liver reading and arrow shaking and so forth came up with the result Jerusalem. Because it's going to Exactly. Even heathen sorcery is subject to the rule and guidance of God, and God makes it serve his plans. Reminds you of Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. God overruled that process. And God made his will come out of that liver. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't care what you use. You can't escape God's will being done. That's cool. That is cool. It is the Lord showing that, you know, 
he can, he'll, he'll cause, you know, even Nebuchadnezzar, who has no real respect for the Lord in Israel, certainly not at this time, to come up with the answer of going to Jerusalem and attack. That's exactly what he did, uh, both in this chapter and historically. Is it recorded historically where he was deciding where he wanted to go? Not that I know of. <coughs> I mean, I do, maybe outside of the Bible. Is there any... Not that I know of. We don't know of that. It's just, just from here. That's all I know about. I'm not saying somebody doesn't. I don't know a lot about, you know, this uh, the history of the ancient Near East, but, but I've, I've not read anything. I, I do I do think that there would be analogies in, you know, other countries and battles and so forth where they did use various divination te- techniques. But as far as this specific one, I don't know of. There, in the Bible there is? Or do you know or did you see No, I think I think I think we know about that to some extent from just ancient cultures. I I get, I'm not no expert on that, but. I mean if you read like um, some of the the histories of Rome, I think that they occasionally they would stop somewhere and and consult a liver or something. Yeah. I mean, they, they would have, or in the, the Greek mythology, they talk about going to... Um, Go like oracles. The oracle of Delphi. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and hanging out there and talking to snakes or something. I don't know. That, that those people were freaky. <laughs> well, they were. Again, I think that we all know we are not big enough and competent enough to run our own life. We need external guidance. We need a God to tell us what to do. And and the amazing thing is, if you don't trust in the real God, you know, then what better to do than to look at a liver? I mean, you know, you gotta have it from somewhere, and uh, and you see people. It amazes me that you know people will believe so many different, ridiculous, stupid things. I mean, people believe the psychics. You know, explain that to me. Horoscopes. Or horoscopes. <laughs> I mean, I can understand people playing with those things. Sometimes they're entertaining. I don't, I don't look at them, but I can see them being entertaining. People believe them. Why? Fortune cookies. Yeah, again, I can see that being fun, but people believe them. Why? You know, because we don't, we, we, we need help. We know we aren't, you know, capable. And we've got to turn somewhere. It's what's available. So, but I think the, the real genius of this is how God <coughs> was able to, to, to cause his will to be accomplished using pagan divination. That's amazing. All right, come into questions through 23. Consulting a cookie is kind of like consulting a liver. Yeah. Like, I just like to think about consulting a cookie. Probably less messy. <laughs> yeah. A little tastier, too. <laughs> I love cooked liver. Yeah. Some, some onions. There were onions or chicken livers. Uh, not chicken livers. Chicken livers are good. You would see it. I remember you always hung around mom waiting to get the liver out of the chicken. When I was... <laughs>
He's a liver reader. I didn't remember that. I ate liver or chicken liver. Oh, liver. yeah. I can remember when Mom would be devoted to really? chicken and she'd dig out the liver and hand it to you. Well, I yeah. thought that was something I just you liked. Because you eat her, No, this was that. That was when she would be devoting it out. Oh, good call. Okay. I don't know. Turkey livers are good, too. Hearts are I don't amazing. Question. I love hearts. Yes. I don't understand verse 23. Um, let me see. Let me read it uh, and see if I can figure it out. And it will be to them like a false divination in their eyes. They have sworn solemn oaths, but he brings iniquity to remembrance that they may be seized. I think the idea is that, um, you know, the people of Jerusalem, they don't respect this divination. To them, it's like a false divination. But... It is God's judgment because of the oaths that of loyalty they had sworn to Babylon that they had broken. And God causes them to be punished for taking his name in vain, for swearing an oath to be loyal to Babylon, and, and not respecting him enough to stay faithful to that oath. I think that's the idea. What have you got in the NIV for 23? <laughs> It will seem like a false omen to those who have sworn allegiance to them, to him, that he will remind them of their guilt and take them captive. Yeah. I think they, Jerusalem swore allegiance and, and reneged, and Nebuchadnezzar going to punish them. Okay. All right, anything else to 23? I like the psychics that are supposedly predicting the future, and they say, I predict that you will eat tomorrow. <laughs> That's a really tough one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what happens is, you know, one correct guess, you know, makes up for 20, you know, blind alleys. I mean, when I was a kid, this is, I guess, you know, some of y'all are close to me. Uh, but Jean Dixon, you remember Jean Dixon? And she predicted uh, President Kennedy's assassination. And that was a huge deal for her. Now, you know, you predict enough things, sooner or later you're going to get something right. You predict an assassination of a president, you know, one of these days one of them's going to get it. You know, so, but I mean, I remember every year, uh, the first of the year, it would show her predictions for the new year in the paper. And it would usually mention that. You know, she'd gotten 28% or 33% or whatever of her prophecies the previous year, correct? Yeah, and she had a great chance because she always predicted movie people getting divorced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but she did usually. And, I mean, tell me this is from, from some supernatural source if you get a fourth to a third of them right. You know. <laughs> a world leader will be killed sometime in the next 12 months. Yeah. Um, well, that's the psychics in some of those, too. Right? Exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, you hear them, you know, even on the radio or whatever. <laughs> well, I could do what they were doing. You know? I mean, they, they, and they ask enough questions to find out enough about the person and then turn around and repeat back to them what they said in a different form. <laughs> They're enlightened. 24 to 27. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have made your iniquities be remembered, and that your transgressions are uncovered, so that in all your deeds your sins appear, 
Because you have come to remembrance, you will be seized with the hand. And you, O slain wicked one, the prince of Israel, whose day has come, and the time of the punishment of the end, thus says the Lord God, Remove the turban and take off the crown. This will no longer be the same. Exalt that which is low and abase that which is high. A run, a run, a run, I will make it. This also will be no more until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. All of this, verse 24, is because of their sins. That God is going to remember against them. And uh, he's going to remove the turban and take off the crown. Now that's significant. Taking off the crown is easier to explain. Because who uses a crown? So we're going to end the kingship. What about removing the turban? Who uses the turban? The priest. So we're going to put an end to the priesthood. Both the, both the priesthood and the kingship were going to cease to function. And they were the foundation of the nation. And because they were going to captivity. You know, God was going to make it a ruin, a ruin, a ruin. Uh, which, when you repeat something three times in Hebrew, it's powerful. It expresses like the superlative degree, like the most ruined that's the idea. He's going to make it a ruin. And he's going to give it into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So God, because of the uh, Jerusalem's sins, was going to see to it that they were going to be brought down with their kingship and priesthood. Okay. Questions and comments? And is the the he who comes, is that Christ? No, I think it's Nebuchadnezzar. Even though it's Catholic version. And there's a debate about that. But I think he's saying that he's going to give it into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar to whom he's given the city. That is, though, you'll find people on various sides of that question. What is What does it mean when it says in 27, uh, this will also be no more until he comes whose right it is and I will give it to, to him. I think the him and the he is Nebuchadnezzar that God was going to give Jerusalem to. Really? Because mine is capitalized. Mine is too. They're wrong. I won't be dogmatic about that. But my inclination is that it's talking about giving Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. James. Okay, why was it Nebuchadnezzar's right to take it? Because God gave it to him. God had given him... You know, they broke the oath, and God God commissioned Babylon to be the executioner of his wrath. Okay, it says this also will be no more. I'm taking this as Jerusalem? Uh, this? I don't know. Because it says this, I would assume Jerusalem, because that was just what was ruined at the very beginning of 27. This also be no more until he comes, who's right it is. Which would make it not Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, I don't know what the this is, other than what just got let's ruined. Get, let's get our other translations. How about the uh, NIV in uh, 27? It will not be restored until he comes to 
Okay, that's that's quite different from what I'm saying. What's your ESV? ESV, a ruin, 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 will I make it. This also shall not be until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. Yeah, that's Nebuchadnezzar. But the NIV is thinking about Jesus. Okay, but the ESV is saying it's Nebuchadnezzar. I think so. It says, this the one to whom judgment belongs. Makes me think. Of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, read it one more time. Um, I'll just do the part, the last part. This also shall not be until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. Okay, so that is saying that the ruin it will not come, come yeah, until Nebuchadnezzar comes. I think so. But why would there have been any fear of it coming before Nebuchadnezzar? There isn't. He's just saying Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, when Nebuchadnezzar comes, it will come. Yeah. What do you have, uh, Ariel? Um, the New Living says that it will not be restored until the one appears who has the right to judge it. Then I will hand it over to him. I guess so. I don't know. That's kind of weird. That one makes it kind of sound like Jesus. I don't know. I'm not sure what they meant there. I mean, again, you know, you... It, the truth is, in, in Hebrew, there is quite a bit of latitude in translation. And, and there is a little bit more question about interpretation. Most of the time, it's not a big issue. But you get some of these more complex prophecies, and it's more difficult to grasp what it's saying in the context. So there's more issues. Greek is, is generally a lot more precise, and there's still issues in translating Greek, but generally fewer issues than there are in translating Hebrew, especially in this po these poetic sections. I mean, there's a lot of translator discretion in some of this text. Oh, wasn't this translated from the Septuagint, or from, is this from the original text? This is from the original text. This will be from, yeah, I mean, some, this some versions will indicate if there's a difference between the two. Right. They, um, compa they compare that, and then they say the Septuagint. And every once in a while, they will actually, in many of the newer versions, they will go with the Septuagint reading if they really think they Because it's, well, the Hebrew wouldn't be wrong, though, would it? Well, it's possible. Or that they couldn't translate. I mean, because wouldn't the Hebrew be the original text, and that's what they actually, the writer actually wrote? No. If you want to think about this, no, not necessarily. Here's their reason. The Hebrew we've got is later than when the Septuagint was translated. So it's possible that the Septuagint reading reflects a more ancient Hebrew text. Oh. That's their thinking. Okay. I'm not big on altering it for the Septuagint very often. There'd be a few cases which I think you probably should, but but that's the that's the reason. Does it reflect a more ancient Hebrew text that's pure? Okay. Anything else on all that? Oh, on anything through twenty-seven. This could be both. <clears throat> I mean, it could be one of those passages where it means. Nebuchadnezzar now, and Jesus later, maybe. Maybe, but wow, that would be taking it kind of in two different directions. I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, you have to translate the verse differently to give it to mean one thing. I, I mean, mean the, the, the NASB would translate it Christ. I mean, that's how, that's the only way I can read that. Yeah, probably because it's uh, capitalized. Well, not only that, but it says this, um, also will be no more. Which I assume would be Jerusalem, which just got ruined until he comes. Well, is it that this or the 
What's the remove, the, remove the turban, take off the crown. Okay. This will be no more the same. And then the ruin... So the king's hood and the priesthood there will be no longer the same. Right. And I don't know if the second this refers back also to the first this. So, so there's not going to be a king or a priesthood until... <laughs> That would be a nice explanation. That'd be an easy explanation, except that that this would be fulfilled in Christ when the king and priest were established again. Right. I mean, that's what—that's one way to to work it that way. <laughs> that would give a nice meaning. Because, like, my reason—you continue the thought, like, it, like you could say that what's being overthrown is the kingdom of Christ. Mm-hmm. Or ruined. Oh, the twenty-seven. Yeah. If you just continue on in 26, this will no longer be the same. We're talking about the king and priesthood. Mm-hmm. And then he says, a ruin, a ruin, a ruin. I will make it king and priesthood. This also will be no more until he comes. But I still read that as Jesus. That would be. That, that, you read that, that, that explanation. It'd be Jesus. Yeah, Jesus restores the kingship and the priesthood. I like that. That makes sense. It's really good. I'm just not convinced that's what the passage is saying. But if it is, that's like cool. That. <laughs> I mean, and you've got the, the ruin, a ruin, a ruin, a ruin. I think of buildings falling down, not a priesthood or a kingdomshipness, you know, being ruined. I don't know! version says overthrown instead of ruin and all of that. Which sounds more like a king, the kingdom of priesthood. Being overthrown, yeah. I think mine is written or translated to more to his yeah. version. It's helpful to compare different translations, and it makes you realize some of these things are not as cut and dried as you thought they were. I mean, it's perfectly fine if it is referring to Jesus, but it probably had a more immediate meaning to these people. Maybe it wouldn't have to. There are direct prophecies of Jesus, I think, in the Old Testament. You know, on either explanation, you've got a coherent explanation. The question is, what's the text really saying? All right. Well, you want to do the last section here, 28 to 32. And you, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God concerning the sons of Ammon and concerning the reproach, and say, a sword, a sword is drawn, polished for the slaughter, to cause it to consume, that it, that it may be like lightning. While they see for you false visions, while they divine lies for you, to place you on the necks of the wicked who are slain, whose day has come in the time of the punishment of the end. Return it to its sheath in the place where you were created, in the land of your origin. I will judge you. I will pour out my indignation on you. I will blow on you with the fire of my wrath. And I will give you into the hand of brutal men, skilled in destruction. You will be fuel for the fire. Your blood will be in the midst of the land. You will not be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay. Now, remember that... Uh, the divination led Nebuchadnezzar to Jerusalem, not Ammon, but Ammon should not gloat, uh, thinking that they've avoided the calamity and tried to taunt Judah, because thus says the Lord God concerning the sons of Ammon, the sword is going to consume them. When Nebuchadnezzar got through at Jerusalem, 
care of Ammon as well, eventually. And uh, they were going to be punished and slain. Sometimes we think we've gotten off the hook because we've avoided some particular catastrophe only to flee into the arms of a bear or whatever. You know, so the Ammonites were going to get it. Uh, and then, verse 30 and following, he, he sends the sword back to its sheath and judges the one who was wielding the sword and pours out the fire of his wrath on that one. Now, who had been wielding the sword? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. So this shows that God was going to actually uh, punish his executioner. Because when we fulfill a commission of the Lord, we are answerable to him as to how we've executed that charge. And in this case, he's going to destroy Babylon. Destroy Nebuchadnezzar. And he has spoken. So the chapter mostly focuses on the fall of Judah. But eventually we see Ammon will fall, and finally God will turn against Babylon that was the instrument of his punishment of Judah and Ammon. So comments and questions? Is this the same sword? Yeah. So the sword has already been drawn, and now after it finished his killing, it's not going to be sheep, but it's going to come against them. Well, actually, yeah, probably, although I don't know that he ever uses the sword in 32. Uh, 32 is the figure. Does he? In what? 30 to 32, he just puts the sword back up, and he uses other instruments. His, he pours out his indignation, blows on him with the fire of his wrath, gives him over to the hand of brutal men, etc. So he doesn't actually portray the Babylonian destruction in the sword imagery. Okay. So, but it's still Babylon doing the destruction. Did Babylon destroy Ammon? Yeah, it, oh, at 28 29, yes. Okay. Then but then the sword's been put back up, and Babylon is destroyed in 30 to 32. Whoa, I missed that. No, that's we 28, even 29 are the destruction of Ammon. 30 to 32 are the destruction of the one who had, had wielded the sword, Babylon. So apparently according to verse 29, there have also been false visions for Ammon saying that they weren't going to receive the judgment. Mm-hmm, I think so. Probably the Ammonite predictors got a heads up on the results of the liver, liver examination and were predicting that Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't come to Ammon. <laughs> Where is the sword being destroyed? I don't see it. Well, he says return to it, it to its sheath, verse 30. Yes. So the sword is sheathed. And the sheath of the sword, you know, the sword has been in Babylon's hands, so we're coming back to where the sword has been used by the Babylonians. In the place where you were created, in the land of your origin, I will judge you. That is the one who's been wielding the sword in my judgment. Oh, so you're saying putting the sword back in the sheath is putting Babylon back in Babylon. Yes. And then they destroyed Babylon. Yes. Oh. Wait, 
that one is going back to their country? Yes. yes. They're done destroying. And, and then, then they destroy it. Yes. Ah, That's what I, I thought. I thought it just meant like to explain the story what I mean. Babylon was done destroying people. Because no, I think Babylon's done. Well, it would be done. Oh, yeah. I guess in one sense, it right. means that bad ones just destroying people, so. Yeah, because they won't be here. But, but the point of Zark Bamin is that, look, before these people get wiped away, they're going to wipe you out. Yeah, and then Babylon itself was going to get it. God does that quite a bit. He does. Reminds you of Isaiah 10 with the Assyrian, the rod of God's <laughs> anger that gets burned up. You start to see patterns. Hey, that's cool. It, it almost look, work in patterns, don't you know that? It almost looks like it was the same author that was behind all this. Even the Revelation. There, there. couldn't be, couldn't be. There's some in this that you can see that even though Babylon was evil, they it, they appeared to be victorious throughout most of this, but in the end, they still get what they yeah, have coming to them. I agree. Because Babylon was a weak nation, from what we know absolutely. about them. I mean, everybody's got to answer to God. You know, the fact that he uses you as his instrument doesn't exempt you from his judgment. You use Babylon. Have you turned him? Judge Babylon. I kind of question. Should the righteous people in Jerusalem have looked forward to the destruction of Jerusalem because there's the judgment of the Lord. Well, Ezekiel wailed and groaned. You know, it was with bitter grief and breaking heart. But, I mean, like... So maybe in some ways, no. In some ways, yes, of course. We always want God's will to be done. But no, I mean in the sense that they rejoice that these people deserve to be to suffer for their wickedness, and God is uh, finally doing it. Yeah, of course, the problem is they were suffering too. What would we do if the Middle East came over here and attacked our land and killed both the righteous and the wicked? Would we be happy about that? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe happy is the right word. I, mean, I, I prayed for I prayed for America to be humble. Uh, I, mean, I do too. I think that I think that what kind of deserve right now. But there's going should that happen the way God generally operates from what we see here, there could be righteous people who die in it and that would be a difficult thing for even the righteous <coughs> to handle. Yeah, I mean, maybe not look like, oh well, I'm going to probably die too, but I'm glad this is getting destroyed. They're glad to see justice done. There, there's sometimes when you've got more than one proper emotion, there's a balance there. I mean, in a sense, you know, we would rejoice at the destruction of the wicked. I mean, certainly we've got plenty of passages in precatory psalms and so forth that say that. And on the other hand, we have compassion and love, and we, you know, beg the Lord to be merciful. <laughs> you know, there's a balance in a lot of those things. So there's a sense in which, obviously... I think that'd be true. But there's another sense in which, you know, you wouldn't look forward to that. So, so they should have looked forward to it because God was glorified. They shouldn't have looked forward, or they wouldn't have looked forward to it because of their, because their own probably destruction in it. Sure. But if they were truly righteous, they would have said, it's the Lord. Well, I think ultimately that is what we should say. 
I mean, we should recognize the hand of the Lord, and certainly we should not rebel against what the Lord determines. <laughs> Didn't Jeremiah say somewhere for the people to go out and surrender? Yeah. And so, he said that several times. So if they were righteous, wouldn't they have listened to Jeremiah and gone out anyways? Yeah. Sure. Should have been saved. Mm -hmm. I mean, they would have put in captivity, but they wouldn't have died. Or at least they would have done what the Lord wanted. Anything else? Well, why don't we stop here then? And, uh, I'm going to be here Monday next week instead of work. Probably, I think, it's going to have to be Monday from here on out, except I uh, probably will start doing on the month with, on the week with the third Tuesday, I'll probably skip. I'll come up with the day, but I'll stay in the middle of That's probably where it's going.